18. And we're going to start looking at a character in the scripture that I dearly love. And I don't know if you're the kind of person who wonders, who uh, likes to take a look at revival. What's revival look like? You know, we, we long for revival. I don't, I don't know about you. I long for revival. I long that the Spirit of God would move in incredible ways. I'm so thankful for the awakening that began uh, in... Uh, in small ways at the men's retreat and continues through uh, couples retreat and, and continues to move forward today. And that revival, that awakening depends on God's people making some choices that, I don't know, are today radical. Well, at the time that we're reading about in 2 Kings chapter 18, it was pretty radical then too. See, when we look at the history of the nation of Israel you know, for the last several hundred years that we've been studying through the book of First and Second Kings, we've seen a pretty steady decline in their spiritual uh, aptitude. They didn't really or weren't as focused in living their lives for the Lord God Almighty. Once they came into the land, it began slowly to deteriorate. And it continued to deteriorate down, 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 till ultimately you have a nation split in two. The northern kingdoms are the party kingdoms. They go up there, do whatever they want to do, whenever they want to do it, because they really don't want to be committed and, and tied down to the concept of worship in one place. And the southern kingdom, who, who struggle between the concept of doing what's right and worshiping God the way God's asked to be worshipped, and looking at the north and wondering, is there something I'm missing? I mean, is that really all that different from our world today? And so we see this same things taking place. But as we look tonight, there are two kings, my favorite two kings in the page of Scripture, Hezekiah and Josiah. And each of them were a part of a pretty incredible revival for their time. A pretty incredible outpouring of God's Spirit and a change of attitude among the people and incredible victories and incredible moves of God that were seen as a result. And it all starts, it all starts the same way. It all starts with one man's faithfulness and obedience. And we look at Daniel. You guys, you know, we think about Daniel and you wonder if one person can make a difference. Well, just read Daniel. The book of Daniel tells us one person can make a difference. Do you know the nation of Israel never repented? Do you know who repented for the nation of Israel? Daniel did. Do you know he's one of very few characters on the page of Scripture that is called beloved of God? Much loved. Daniel. He's one of two characters in the Bible... To whom God gave incredible visions. And if you want to understand the visions of the end of the Bible, you better be able to understand Daniel. One person makes a difference. One person's faithfulness. One person's obedience. One person stepping out from the crowd and saying, you know, I know that we all do this, but we don't have to all do this. We don't all have to follow the same Line the same rules, doing the same things. We can break away from the crowd. Because really, doesn't the Bible tell us that there ought to be a distinction between the world and the church? Not that the church is perfect. Please understand, I don't expect perfection in the church. The church is just the world coming into the church. Uh, 
it's the radical change that occurs when the Spirit of God is moving in people's lives and they make a decision to step aside, step away, step out, repent, and walk the way God wants them to walk. And this great picture of that occurs for us tonight in 2 Kings 18. So I'm sure you guys are already there since I've been rambling for a while. I'll meet you there. 2 Kings 18 says, Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel. Hosea, last king of Israel. Okay, He's the one the people go into Assyria. They, they are conquered. They become part of the Assyrian people. You've heard maybe people mention the ten lost tribes, right? That's the, ten, that's the people they call the ten lost tribes. Remember, it's important that we understand the tribes were not divided by tribes. That the land was divided by tribe. But the people lived everywhere. You guys with me? So you have 12 tribes in the south, 12 tribes in the north. You have 12 tribes representative, wicked, following the world in the north, going into captivity under their last king, Hosea. So while you're in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Hezekiah. Something different about him. And just in case you're wondering if he followed after, you know, a real godly father or something, the answer would be no. He, he has his own relationship. It's pretty indicative throughout the scripture, right? We like to put a lot of weight upon parents, you know, like you can inadvertently, utterly destroy your children for all time because of the way that you were to them. But every child... In their life, somewhere along their growth and development, has a choice to make. A choice that, that says, I can receive healing, and I now can have my own relationship on, on Christ based on, on a, a good relationship, or I can continue down the road of those who went before me and the mistakes they made. We know you're able to step out from among it because we have kings throughout 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles that do it. You have a wicked king. Followed by a good king. And no explanation other than the good king wants to do what? Follow the Lord. He has a relationship with God. And so we see the same with Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah. He began to reign. Now he was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, Abijah in First and Second Chronicles. You can read about her. The daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. It's been a long time since we read that phrase. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all his father David had done. And you haven't read that phrase yet anywhere else. The nation has been longing for a king who had a heart after God's own heart, right? That was the, that was the whole symbolism behind David, right? And often it would say he was a king who did right but not like his father, David. He wasn't wholly committed. And as we go through the page of Scripture, look, we can play church, and we can play with a relationship, and we can come to church, and we can read our Bibles, and we can pray, and we can go to Bible studies, and we can do all that without being all in, right? We can go through the motions, we can do the stuff, we can, we can just follow in, but these special people that we read about, are men and women who made a decision that, you know what, I'm just going to live the book. I'm going to live the book. Here's the book. 
I'm living it. In every aspect of my life. And when that happens, radical transformation takes place. Radical power is released in the lives of men and women. Radically, the Spirit begins to move, and you see incredible things. We'll see one, I think, the most incredible story in the entire Bible is in chapter 19 of, of 2 Kings as a result of revival. Every time we hear about revival, we talk about revival, there's always an incredible move of the Spirit that takes place along the same time. Because those things are released because every one of them begin with one person saying, I, I, I'm going to step out. I'm going to radically live my life. I don't know if it's radical, but I'm going to live my life by the book. I'm going to follow the precepts. I'm, I'm all in. I'm not holding anything out. I'm not holding anything back anymore. I'm not going to live afraid that if I climb in totally, maybe God won't be there for me and, and I'm going to crash and burn. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to get all in. And so this is what he did. He was like his father David, a man after God's own heart. Now, we all know David's not perfect, right? But what we do know is throughout David's life, even after horrible sins and things that he did wrong, his desire was to please God. And when we have a desire to please God in every aspect of our life, we'll find ourselves doing the same thing Hezekiah does. Look what it says in verse 4. He removed the high places. Now we've been struggling with that for quite a while. The good kings, it would say the good kings, and they did good things, but they didn't remove the high places. The high places is where the children of Israel could worship other gods. It's simple. All it was was altars all over the hills. Throughout God's prophets, if you read the prophets, you read Jeremiah, you read Ezekiel, you read Isaiah. In fact, we're going to see Isaiah in this chapter and the next. But as we read those, he talks about you're always committing immorality on every high hill and under every green tree. That's where the high places were. All those things that kind of drew the people that was trying to slurp the people back into worldly positions, worldly worship. Um, the high places where, where the immorality would take place, where people would sin. The sin that we're talking about, be quite frank, on the pages of Scripture throughout the Old Testament here is sexual immorality. And not, not a lot has changed in our world today. Because just like in the nation of Israel, sexual immorality was rampant, it's in the church. Because those ideas, you know, about, about giving yourself and every aspect of yourself to the Lord... To walk in holiness, those are so old-fashioned. And it's like the 21st century, you know. We need to get with the times. But don't you know that's the same thing they were saying then? Oh, come on, Mom, I want to go hang out under the, at the high place. All the kids are getting together under the tree up there. Well, you know, that's what the kids are doing today. That's become the attitude and as long as that's a prevailing attitude within the body of Christ, revival will tarry. It'll wait until one by one, men and women gather together and say, I'm all in. And I'm stepping away from all that stuff and I'm stepping into something 
that the world would say is radical. That's crazy ideas. That's crazy. That's what he did. He removed the high places. Look what else he did. He broke the sacred pillars. The sacred pillars are the poles of Ashtoreth. That's where you would go to gather up a a high uh, priestess in the cult of Ashtoreth. Sex was a, a big part of that. And so they had a ribbon. Maybe you guys have seen pictures of this. A pole and a ribbon tied to it. And people running around the pole with the ribbon and, you know, make these. Same concept comes in Ashtoreth. Gathering around the pole, meeting Finding your love for the evening, or for the moment. Gathering them together. Coming down. He says you cut down the wooden image. Those wooden images, those wooden poles. He cut them down. He broke into pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. You guys remember the story of the bronze serpent? There's interesting things here in verse 4. Slowly he's tearing down everything that could be raised up against God. Everything. Anything that was a problem, Hezekiah tore it all down. He said, I am king, and it's not going to happen here. It's not going to be a part of here. Well, you know that there were people who didn't really appreciate him acting like a king. And I'm sure that they were upset about no longer having their high place in the pole. And they probably, they might have even left. Does that happen? Yeah. What about in your families? What happens in your families if you decide, you know what? Our family's going to radically change and things are going to be radically different. What happens? You lose some? So for the fear of losing some, you not climb in? I'm sure some left. I'm sure some were offended at his radical ideals and the radical change, especially when he took the bronze serpent. I mean, come on. That is a religious symbol. You know, when the children of Israel were in the wilderness and they were bickering toward God, the Lord sent fiery serpents. We remember the story, right? And when the fiery serpents came in, they were biting the people. And the people are suffering and dying. And Moses goes before the Lord and he prays and the Lord says, Moses, take a bronze serpent. Bronze is a picture of judgment. The serpent, he's a perfect picture, a description of the fall. And he says, you take that bronze serpent and you affix it to a pole. So you hang this bronze serpent on a pole and you stand it up in the middle of the camp. What did the Bible say? Cursed is what? Everything that hangs on the... On the stake, right? Or on the pole. So what you see is a picture of the curse of the fall of man being judged. And he said, everybody looks at that. If they look to it, the suffering will stop. And it became this incredible symbol. When people, So many people got saved looking at that pole. But what, be, what, what started this incredible move and, and started this revival back in those days of people coming to the Lord and recognizing all of a sudden that became a a symbol and people started to burn incense to it. And they set it up like a God. And they began to bow down and worship it. And Hezekiah understood that the word said, you shall have no graven images. 
No image, no example of who God is. You know why God doesn't want us to make a graven image of Him? Because whenever we do, we're going to emphasize one characteristic to the exception of another. I mean, think of all the, the symbols we have of Jesus. We can, we can create a Jesus that's very effeminate. We can create a Jesus very strong. We can create a Jesus. We can create pictures of all these concepts. But they never quite will encapsulate all that is God, will they? All His sovereignty, all His love, all His majesty, all His glory. It just can become restrictive. And what happened? The people started to worship the, the bronze serpent. And burn incense to the bronze serpent. They began to, to, to name it and dance around it. It says, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan. The bronze thing. And Nehush takes you back to the root word. So it's kind of a play on words. Nehush takes you back to the root word of serpent. So they call it Nehushtan. I'm going to go burn incense to Nehushtan. And it became like a god to them. And they found themselves bound in all these ways. The children of Israel were, were distant from their true God. And Hezekiah came through and he removed every single one of them. He took them all down. Got bronze poles in your house? I don't know what they look like. I know what mine look like. I don't know what yours look like. Those things that you keep around for whatever reason that you're pretty sure God would have you get rid of, pitch, toss. Because it's just a little thing that comes between me and the Lord. And all those little things that come between me and the Lord, God says, God's infinitely patient. And he says, you know, there's so much more I want to do. I'm just waiting till you tear down the high places and you cut down the poles and you tear down the bronze serpents. Whatever thing in your life is raising itself up before God. And that thing that raises itself up before God can be anything. Guys, please understand it can be anything. It could be good stuff. But good stuff gets in the way. The bronze pole was a good thing, wasn't it? It brought a lot of life to people. But it became a negative thing because it became the symbol. That's what I'm praying to. A lot of times, churches can become like that. There are people today who worship a church. It's the Christ of the church, not the church that saves. Ever. Ever. But we can raise up those brass poles, those bronze serpents, and we burn incense to it, and we swear by it. And, and it may be that those things are things that are between us and that depth of relationship with God that we want. And I, God's not tricky. It's if right now, if you're thinking, gosh, I really knew what that, I wish I knew what that was. Yeah, sorry, I don't buy it. You know exactly what it is. It's already run through your head a couple of times. Oh, it couldn't be that. Oh, it could be. The Lord would not make me get rid of my Harley. You better be careful. You keep it a day too long and you can park it underneath a truck. He's got a way. Tearing down those things. I love that Hezekiah does this. And look what he did in verse 5. Awesome. 
That's not just the amount of tearing stuff down. It's not just the, the getting rid of the junk that's, that's between you. But look what happens in verse 5. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel. And there is so much in that. You, the most intense picture of trust, uh, to me, there's two, two examples of them, and they're both from the same guy. He comes to be known as the father of faith, Abraham. And that both of them deal with his kids. Trusted in the Lord God of Israel. There came a time when God said to Abraham, and fellas, I'm sorry to have to say this in church because your wives, if they're here, are going to hear it. Where God said to Abraham, Abraham, listen to your wife. I know we think that God couldn't possibly speak to us through our wives. Sorry. Frequently. Just in case you're wondering. Frequently. Sarah was telling Abraham, man, you've got to get rid of Ishmael. Ishmael is Abraham's son, his firstborn. You don't think Abraham loved Ishmael? You don't think Abraham had dreams for Ishmael? You don't think Abraham had plans of all that he was going to accomplish through his son? And his crazy wife, who he wouldn't even have had Ishmael if she didn't say, go take Hagar as your wife and have a child, and now she's mad at him because he had a child. That was an instance where Abraham shouldn't have listened. But now Sarah's coming to him and saying, Abraham, we've got to get rid of him. He's got to go. And so God said to Abraham, listen to your wife. Do you know what Abraham gave Ishmael when he sent him out? One skin of water. A canteen. You know how much Abraham had? Man. Camels and goats and caravans. 318 minimum highly trained military men. He gave his kid one canteen of water. Man, there's a father of the year. You're thinking, huh? What a jerk. He could have gave him so much stuff. He could have. But it would have taught Ishmael to trust in his dad. And Abraham trusted in the Lord God of Israel. And the Lord God of Israel said, Give me your son, and I'll take care of him. And he cut him loose. That's unreal. I can't imagine doing that. I pray all the time that God will never require me to do such a thing. Just turn my son out into the world? They just turned him out in the desert. Ishmael, I love you, but you got to go. What was that like? Abraham trusted in the Lord God of Israel. In Galatians, Paul would write of Abraham, and he would tell us that his son was a picture of the flesh, and and Isaac was a picture of the spirit, and always the flesh and the spirit are warring together. And there's, Scripture lays out for us that we're to make no provision for what? 
No provision for the flesh. What did Abraham make for Ishmael? No provision. One canteen of water. Well, they got out a little ways into the desert and the water ran out. And Ishmael, he got so weak, he just passed out. So his mom drug him and laid him under a bush. And then she went somewhere else to, to lay under a bush to die. And while she laid down to die, she cried out to the Lord God of Abraham. She called that place the God who sees. I love that. Does God see your kids? The God who sees. And God delivered them. And in the end, what did Ishmael learn? To trust in the Lord God of Israel. Now, we don't know a lot about what happened with Ishmael. I got my ideas. My ideas are the things that God did in that man's life. I think he walked with the Lord. Sure, he was a wild man. There are lots of wild people who follow the Lord. In case you haven't paid much attention, there's some. Wait till Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. You see some wild characters here Sunday morning. I promise. I got some biker buddies coming by. They're wild characters. He was a wild man, but man, he, he certainly had every opportunity to know everything he needed was to trust in the Lord God of Israel. Another time Abraham was told, Abraham, take the son, the son which you love, to the mount that I will show you, and there offer him as a burnt offering unto me. Can you imagine that? God, uh, I'm not supposed to offer children as a sacrifice. Oh, he didn't argue. What did he say? Okay. Got up, gathered up a son, and took off. Took his servants together. They got the wood. They got everything that they needed to build the altar. They put it on the, the donkeys, and they began a journey. They went to a place called Mount Moriah. Oh, it's Zion now. Same mountain upon which the Jer- Jerusalem was built. You get up past where Jerusalem would be, and there's a place, an area that they would cut out of the rock to quarry the stone for the temple that's not there yet, because Abraham's a little bit before that. And the place where they cut out all the stone to quarry for the temple created a, a hill. Actually got famous because that's where the Jewish people would go to stone people. Well, it makes sense, right? If you're going to stone somebody to go to the quarry. So they go down to that quarry. People used to say they could look into the rock and see the depiction of a skull got famous after a while they started to call it by a different name right Golgotha which means the place of the skull that's Mount Moriah God told Abraham go to this place I will show you they went 
He got to the place where they begin the journey, the climb up, the, up Mount Moriah, and he leaves his servants behind and he says, the lad and I will go, do you know the word that's used? The lad and I are going to go worship. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel. That's, that's pretty huge. He's going to go up there and kill his son. You don't think he's got questions about that? How's this all going to work? I mean, this is the son you promised me, God, and you told me Messiah is going to be born from the children that my son has. If I kill him, how can that happen? No. He trusted. And the Lord God of Israel. So they went up the hill. On the journey up the hill, the, the Bible says that they put the wood, you know where they put the wood? On the son, Isaac. How did Jesus get the wood of the cross up to Calvary? Oh, yeah, he pulled it on his back too, huh? Strange pictures in the Bible, isn't there? Carries the wood up, and his son gets up there and says, Well, Dad, look, we got the altar and the fire and the wood. Where's the sacrifice? Must have been an interesting conversation between father and son about that time. Abraham said, Yahweh Yideh. Love that phrase. If I still got tattoos, I'd be tempted to put that one on me someplace. <laughs> Too old to get tattoos now. Old people and tattoos. When I was young, tattoos weren't so bad, you know. Old wrinkly tattoos, not so good. <laughs> not so good. <laughs> not, I don't mean you, Rick. I mean, oh, okay. your, your tattoos look great. <laughs> so, he said, Yahweh Yide, which means the Lord will provide himself. That's a pretty incredible phrase, right? Then he goes on to say, for in this mount, future tense, it will be provided. The sacrifice, the real sacrifice is going to happen on this mountain in the future. That's kind of a picture he's painting there, isn't it? Ties his son down on the altar, begins the sacrifice. We often say he raised the knife. That's not how they killed him. They never plunged the knife into the sacrifice. They ran the razor across the throat. That's how they sacrificed. And Abraham reached down with that knife to his son, the son that he loved. By the way, which is the very first place in the Bible the word love is used, Genesis 22. And then... The angel said, stop. There's a ram in the thicket. Ram in the thicket. That's male. And so the ram becomes a substitute. Hmm. Just like the Son of God is going to become the substitute. And those are incredible things. Those stories are amazing. And it all starts with that phrase. They trusted in the Lord God of Israel. 
Do you trust in the Lord God of Israel like that? That's hard, right? It's hard. We were talking on Sunday about prayer and what that looks like and what our, what our hearts ought to be like and how that flows and works in and through us. And so we got brothers and sisters that are hurting right now, don't we? Lots of them. Keith's still in the hospital. Till the day he comes out, I will not stop praying God heals him. I'm okay. God's God. He tells me, you have not. Why? Because you ask not. So I'm going to ask. He said, the other reason why you might not have it is because you are selfish in what you're asking for. All right. I'm not trying to be selfish in what I'm asking for. I'm okay with God being God. So I'm going to ask. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to trust in the Lord God of Israel. Trust gets shook a little bit, though, when there's a little girl dealing with possibly the same cancer. But it doesn't change. If I trust in the Lord God of Israel, I trust for that too, don't I? Got a phone call today about 4, 3 o'clock, I guess. Uh, Levi Woodhouse is in the hospital. Got a hole in his stomach from an ulcer. Oh, he's uh, in armies, did some time in Iraq. Come back with PTSD. They like to put you out of the army for stuff like that. So they send you home because they took you out and broke you. And then they don't want to fix you. Ulcerate through his stomach. Stomach drained on his pancreas. Pancreas quit working. You know, you can't live without that, right? Stopped producing insulin in his body. They found him on the floor. Things look like it could be okay. If they can get the stomach closed and the pancreas will come back, he could be okay. You stand there with a the mom and his sister. And everybody's crying and worried. What are you going to tell them? How about trusting the Lord God of Israel? My God is able. And no matter what my God does, He's worthy of my trust completely. So we wait. And we pray. And we wait for the hand of God to move. Listen, if you're going to make it in this life, in this walk, in this relationship with Almighty God, you better learn those things. To tear down the altars, to tear down the high places, and to trust in the Lord God of Israel. 
Stop thinking that you're somehow going to be able to cover it by your own abilities or the check that you can write or somebody you might know. The deliverance comes from the same place every time. Our Lord God of Israel. He trusted. Look what it says after that. So that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor were there any before him. This is a a Hebrew idiomatic phrase. It's an idiom. It's a figure of speech that they would use about two kings. Remember I told you my two favorite? Hezekiah and Josiah. What are they saying about them? That unlike everybody that was around them and what everybody else was doing didn't matter, they were not like anyone else. They followed the Lord wholly, completely, totally. Said Hezekiah, man, there was no one like him. No one like him before or since. Look, we know there were people like him before. He was like David. What he's saying is, man, they were set apart. Radically different from the people around. Radically different from their time. People would think, this is crazy. The things you're doing are crazy. It doesn't make any sense. People who are really following the Lord and going after the Lord, and God tells them to do some strange things sometimes. Sometimes God tells them to do strange things. Sometimes God says, I want you to sell everything you got. Sell your polo club, and I want you to sell it all and go buy a boat. Remember? I told you guys about friendships. And you go and do it and you lose every penny. And you don't have any money left. And then God says, now we can get started. (laughs) Sometimes God says, I want you to quit this job. What do you mean you want me to quit this job? God, the Bible says that I'm supposed to take care of my family. Quit your job. Trust in the Lord God or not. I'm not sure that's God's voice. Well, I can tell you it's not mine. Hey, I'm just going to quit my job. Do nothing. Sit around. Watch the grass grow. No. That don't come out of my head. January 7th, Jackie quit. I don't have a job, God. That's a good job. Y'all in or not? Okay. I still remember a conversation with my boss. I went in and turned in. I did three months notice instead of two weeks notice because God told me three months early, so I let him know. Hey, I'm leaving and I'm going to leave in three months. What are you going to do? I don't know. What you quitting for? God told me to. What? <laughs> do I need to call a special doctor for you? God don't talk to people today. Yeah, yuck it up. January 7th came. A few days before January 7th, I got a job. I thought all my problems were solved, right? Oh, I got a job now, so. Went to work doing garage doors, selling garage doors. You know, them steel ones. Turned out the guy gave me the job, and he had some other deal going. And so, anyways... He ripped me off and kept all that money and kept me at a at a very low rate of pay till 
we lost the house. Oh, well, the first job I had, I had a $25,000 retirement account. You know, they took $5 an hour out of my pay for that retirement account. And so I cashed it in three months early. Figuring just in case, you know, I get in a bind. My house payment was 700 bucks a month, so $25,000 would have lasted a while, you know. A few months I could have got out of that. Oh, but the, my boss took all that retirement and paid his bills. And the day that they caught him, he declared bankruptcy, closed the business, Changed the name from Inland Power Sweeping to Inland Power Striping and opened up the next day. Well, that's cool. The people that I owed the mortgage to didn't care, though. Trust in the Lord God of Israel or not. Surely God would not call you to something like that, where you'd have to lose stuff, right? The Lord would never do anything that caused you to lose your family, the opportunity to see your kids, your house. I mean, you know, God would never do nothing like that. Are you sure? Probably read the book a little bit. There's some wild stories in there. God's deliverance. Okay. That was the beginning of the journey that brings me to Idaho. That's what's got me into Bible college. That's what started my life on a totally different path. And it's amazing I survived. Hard to believe. So when the call came from Steve, when Steve was here and he said, Hey, Jackie, um, how about in two weeks? Okay, I'm sure I'll sell my house in two weeks. If anybody wants a house in California, I still have one. (laughs) Trust in the Lord God or not? The only way it can work is if you sell your house? What's that? My God's bigger than that. The only way it works is if it's smooth and perfect. That's not how my walk has ever been. And I'm okay with that. Because I'm going to trust in the Lord God of Israel. And what he takes, he takes. And what he gives, he gives. And in the end, blessed be the name of the Lord. What did Job say? He gives and takes away. Shall I only worship him in times of plenty when everything goes my way? Job, I love Job when he said, Though he slay me, yet will I praise him. No matter what, I'm what? All in. And that's Hezekiah. There was nobody else like him. Nobody else like him. Look at verse 6. For he held fast to the Lord. Wow. That picture is amazing. He held fast to the Lord. There's a... uh, There's a woman of which that same phraseology is used. When Jesus died and 
And he rose again, you know, on the third day. And, and he finds this woman crying. She's crying so hard she thinks he's the gardener. You guys remember the story, right? Her name's Mary, Mary Magdalene, right? She had seven demons in her that had been cast out. And she loved the Lord because she'd been forgiven so much. She really loved the Lord a lot. And so the Lord reveals himself to her, says Mary, and she's, oh, Lord. And she clung to him. She wasn't not going to let go. Oh, it's used another place. Jacob. You guys remember Jacob? His name means deceiver, supplanter. You know, he comes to a time in his life where he really didn't have any other plans. He was in serious trouble. Things were going sideways. I mean, things are going really wrong. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then out of nowhere, in the pages of Scripture, out of nowhere, it says, and Jacob wrestled with a man. just odd how it's just there just turns out that man is god jacob when he came to the end of himself i just love the picture because when he come to the end of himself trying all his plans doing all the stuff he thought he could do to make things better and you know he put the family he liked over here the family he doesn't like over there you know he tried to get it all all the things situated he wrestled with god he laid a hold of god And wouldn't let go until God blessed him. And that's the whole concept for wrestling prayer. To lay hold of God and not let go. To cling to the Lord with all you got wrapped around him, holding on to him. Even though everything around you says, let go, forget it's not working. Everything's wrong. Everything's bad. The, the sickness is getting worse. The financial situation is, is no good. The kids are crazy. Everything's sideways. He held on to God. And the word said, he prevailed. You see, what I see in that is God recognizing Yeah, Jacob's not going to let me go. He's not going to let go. So the Lord gave him an incredible blessing. He touched his hip and knocked it out of socket. Hey, that's not a blessing. Sure was. Jacob never walked one step the rest of his life without thinking about the Lord. It's all about how we want to see the events of our life. How we want to see the things that are going on. Cling to the Lord. And the the Lord God is going to do what He's going to do. And we can trust Him. Just like Hezekiah, we can cling to Him. Hold fast to the Lord. Look what else it says. He did not depart from following Him. No matter what, he did not depart from following him. Before you think Hezekiah's life was easy, we haven't got to the rest of the story. Hezekiah's life was not easy. It was not without battle. It was not without problem. It was not without issue. But look, listen to what it said. He did not depart from following him. No matter what, he did not depart from following him. No matter what. What did Jesus say when he came to the disciples at the Sea of Galilee when they're fishing? Come and follow me. He didn't promise them a nice, beautiful walk through a rose garden, did he? 
said, I'll make you fishers of men. But life was not always easy, was it? But they never quit following him. They never quit following. They never gave up. They put their eyes on the prize. They clung to him. They held to him. And they wouldn't let go. Even when they took Peter and put him upside down, nailed him to a cross, they clung to him. Even when they took James in and brought him out before the people and took a sword and chopped his head off. Even when they grabbed John and dropped him in boiling, water, boiling oil. And he didn't die. They clung to him. John, they would take John and they would set him in front of the people. He, he ends up dying of natural causes. Not for lack of trying. They tried. But they just couldn't kill him. So they'd bring him in front of the church and when he was an old man and they'd set him down in front of the church and they'd all back away to hear these pearls of wisdom from John. And tradition says he would say, my little children love one another. Read it. First John. Second John. Third John. Knock yourself out. The attitude of God's people. Why? They clung to him. Just like Jacob. It's not any different. Jacob hung on to the Lord. He recognized nothing else. I got nothing else. The best laid plans on my cement I've done. And he grabbed the hold of the Lord for everything he was worth. Will you grab a hold of God that way? Will you hold him like Mary Magdalene in the garden when she realized he's my only hope? I need him. Jesus had to pry her off of him. And Mary, I got to go to my father. Will you be like Ruth? You remember Ruth? To Naomi? Well, we sung a song tonight. You know, a lot of the words from that song come right out of Ruth. Where you go, I go. Where you die, I'll die. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. That was a covenant of clinging. I'm grabbing a hold of you and I'm not ever letting go. Can that be our attitude? That we cling to the Lord. Do not depart from following Him. And then the last phrase, guys, the last thing. But did not depart from following but kept His commandments which the Lord God had commanded Moses. Kept His commands. Was Obedient to the word. Held the Lord. Never stopped following him. Was obedient to the word. Held on to the Lord. Never stopped following him. Was obedient to the word. And you and I got it easier than Hezekiah. I just want you to know. Hezekiah had like 619 commandments to work out. You and I have one. All the law and the prophets is fulfilled in this love. Love God and love people. Deuteronomy says it best. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love. Love. You love God that way? Cling to Him. Don't stop following Him. 
and love him. If you love God, will you love others? Yeah. Can't do it any other way. If you love God, will you cling to him? If you love God, will you follow him? So love him. Get all in. Get all in. There's a fella. I don't remember his name. If you really want to know, I'll tell you. But he was a real person. And he used to set up a tightrope across Niagara Falls and walk the tightrope. Some of you guys heard the story before. One time, he took a camp stove out to the middle of the tightrope, set up the camp stove, and, and cooked and ate breakfast over top of Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Pretty amazing guy. He also was known to take a wheelbarrow, and he'd fill a wheelbarrow up with bricks, and he'd push it up onto the tightrope and go across with the wheelbarrow to the other side. Legend tells us when he got on the other side, there's a fellow waiting, and he said, man, you are the greatest ever. And he says, yeah, I'm pretty good, huh? Yeah, you're good, you're good. I see all this stuff you do. So you think I could put a person in this wheelbarrow and take him across? Yeah, there's no question in my mind. Absolutely, you could take this wheelbarrow across with a person in it. Do you really believe that? Shot. I just watched you do it with a bunch of bricks. Well, get in. Hey, that is what God is saying. He's a lot better at that tightrope. He says, get in. Cling, follow, obey, and enjoy the ride. Because there will be nothing like it. Amen? Amen. Just stay with me and let's pray. Don't worry, we'll get 18 done. I promise I won't do five verses at a time, the whole time. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for this time, for the opportunity, God, to, to just open your word and just take our time and to see, Lord, what you have for us, God, to have eyes to see that want to want to see, Lord Jesus, how these revivals take place and these great men in the scriptures and what they did. Just slow down for a minute and realize, man, Lord, there are some things here that you're calling me to. I want to go deeper. I want to go further. I want to understand you more. Maybe there are high places in your life that have raised up between you and the Lord, and God would have you tear them down. Maybe there are things that are good things. At one time were very important, but now they're separating you from going deeper with the Lord. God would have you tear them down. Maybe you're really struggling with being able to trust the Lord God of Israel because you're afraid. Every man, woman, and child must make the choice to live their life by one of two principles, fear or faith.
And the Word of God tells us that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. By trusting what the Word of God says. But the good news is, when our Father in Heaven hears this cry, we read about it in Scripture when He hears a father speaking of his son, and he says of his son, Jesus said to him, if you believe, he can be healed. And the father said, I believe. Lord, help my unbelief. Not going to surprise God, he knows. Maybe we just need to come to the place where we're willing to cling to him to follow Him, to be obedient to Him. Maybe God is saying to us, get in a wheelbarrow. Trust me. He doesn't promise us it'll be easy. He just promises it'll be worth it. God, I just pray, whatever you're speaking to us, wherever we are, each of us in a different road in our journey, that we would... Hear your word and choose. Two paths are set before you this day. One of life and one of death. Choose life. Lord, I pray that your spirit would move. God, that we would come to know that you truly are everything that we need. No matter the circumstance, no matter the struggle, no matter anything that we may face. You Lord God, are stronger than it all. You are stronger than our failures. You are stronger than the diseases. You are stronger than our fears. Lord God, I just pray you do your work tonight. And we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.